Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Price drop. Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Creative Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined by Pat Corain. Uh, We have a couple things we want to get to today. We're going to talk about our FFPC Pros versus Joes draft that we did on Sunday night. Uh, At the end of the show, we are going to talk about the Raz Bowl, which starts in about 50 minutes from the time we are recording. It's going to already have begun, uh, which mirrors the NFFC Cutline Championship. And we, we can talk a little bit about... NFFC in general, because I play at least one team on there every year, and I don't think you and Pete do, but I, I think you should because that ADP, the if you think FFPC drafters are are hungry for running backs, like NFFC drafters are really hungry for running backs. David Montgomery, like routinely, was going in the second round last year. Josh Jacobs is a top thirty-five overall pick there. Like they really love they really love running backs over there. I'll see you on NFFC. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's nice. Now it is uh, that, and there also is no tight end premium. So like you know, Kelsey Waller uh, and Kittle go closer to their underdog ADP than their FFPC ADP. But really, the tight end premium. I mean, of course it helps, but like the advantage those guys have, they still they still retain that advantage in full PPR for everyone. Like Travis Kelsey right. is going to score sixty more points than everyone else, regardless of the scoring settings that you have you know, put in there. But the the main thing I wanted to talk about, and this has become really clear to me, um, both like a couple tweets I've posted recently, listening to other people's podcasts and looking at drafts is I, I think that it has become an accepted idea, or at least it's something accepted to say that you need to draft for upside. But then when people start making their individual picks, it's like they completely forget that idea. Yeah, and we're constantly arguing about, like, who's going to score more points, you know. And it's like, well, I don't really care how many, like, points Hunter Renfro is going to score. And I especially – and I don't really care how many Hunter Renfro is an unfair example because no one's actually arguing for him. But there's there's guys who are, like, closer to Hunter Renfro's profile that people are actually drafting. And it's like you're looking for, especially in managed leagues – if you're if you're having to take guys who you're you're just hoping will score the most points in like rounds 13 and 14 then like pick something earlier in the draft because like you're at that point you should just be hunting for upside uh i mean i missed i didn't have a ton of robbie anderson last year so like i some of this stuff can work where you're like hey this guy looks locked into a, a good role there are occasionally guys like that but um but Russell robbie Gage anderson actually robbie anderson is a bad example because we know for a fact the type of player Robbie Anderson is like should have theoretical upside, even if he hasn't flashed it uh, in, in like a long time, because Robbie Anderson's super fast and he runs down the field. Like he's going to be targeted yeah. at, a, at a higher average depth of target. I mean, his sophomore season with the jets, 
his quarterback was a combination of Josh McCown and Bryce Petty. And he had 114 targets, 941 yards and seven touchdowns in like the woat situation. Yeah. We kind of like, I talked myself out of Robbie Anderson last year because, you know, I was convinced he was going to be in the downfield role that DJ Moore ended up being in, et cetera, et cetera. But he was an outside wide receiver. And as you point out, he actually did have upside in his profile. Um, He's more similar to like Curtis Samuel this year, where you could see Samuel or even Corey Davis. Like I'm not that excited about Samuel or Davis, but if they were to have a really strong season, I don't think we should be shocked. The guys like Russell Gage, who are just like projectable slot targets where you don't have, I mean, you said before the show, like if, if like uh, Calvin Ridley just like retired, we still wouldn't change Russell Gage's projection really, because he's not an outside wide receiver. Like it would, it would mean they probably signed someone. And like, if anything, we're bumping up like uh, Christian Powell. And Zacchaeus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Russell Gage specifically is like a, a, a great example of like, we're going to, we're going to be looking back at drafts next off season. Like there's all, you, you look back at drafts the year after and you're like, what were we thinking? And like, you know, Matt Breida in the eighth last year, a classic, mm-hmm. like we had no information to support this. What were we doing? And we're going to look back and we're going to say, okay, you know, Russell Gage, let's see here. Where's he going on FFPC? Russell Gage is going ahead of Darnell Mooney. Henry Ruggs, Corey Davis, Devontae Parker, Rondale Moore, Bateman, Marvin Jones, Jalen Rager. And it's like all of those guys, I'm like, those guys all have paths to smashing, right? Mooney's path to smashing isn't so much volume, but I think it's just, uh, I, I call this the Dwayne Bow thing. We're just over the course of one season, a guy just runs incredibly hot on throws down the field and scores a bunch of touchdowns on them because Dwayne Bow once scored 16 touchdowns in a season with, uh, I got to go, I got to go look this up. I remember this. Were. It was Matt but Castle. It, it was Matt. Yeah. So, so that Dwayne Bow season is like what, like he never had more than seven touchdowns in a season, any other year of his career. But that year he just ran super hot on throws down the field and scored 15 touchdowns. No one else on the team had more than three receiving touchdowns. But that could happen for Darnell Mooney because he is going to be that guy. He is going to be their exclusive down the field guy. He is going to play outside. And, you know, I think that you can you can definitely make that case for, I mean, you know, Bateman, it's more about he just becomes the alpha. Like he is better than Marquise Brown in the second half of the season. Corey Davis becomes the alpha. Um, Marvin Jones has a, an outlier touchdown season, which – I'm having a hard time with Marvin Jones because he has always been a veteran thorn in the side of younger, more exciting mm-hmm. players. His whole career, he's been that way. And I just, I really don't want him to do that to DJ Shark and LaVisca Chenault, but maybe I need to be taking it more seriously. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not drafting Marvin Jones right now, but he's another guy where if he just has a really strong season, we shouldn't be shocked because he has been pretty good. He wasn't actually that good last year um, with, you know, the Stafford connection. No, but, he was, he was legitimately bad last season without yeah. Kenny Galladay playing. It was, um, I mean, he was in, in, he was, he had some production, but it was just like, he almost had so to. It was no so gross. Yeah. Yeah. Like, very inefficient. So 
he's just not the he's just I'm, I'm okay if Marvin Jones burns me this year he's just not what I want to be chasing and I don't think Marvin Jones actually has like a huge upside like Marvin Jones has like two and a half spike weeks in him so. yeah which is what I mean last year he had uh in Indianapolis in week seven he had three for 39 with two touchdowns against Chicago uh I think that was the Thanksgiving game if I remember right it was eight for 116 and one against Tennessee 10 for 112 and one and then in week 16 against Minnesota he had one eight, eight 180 and two but that was with every like everyone was Everyone's dead yeah. everyone is dead around him um yeah. and the you know the Jaguars it's like okay let's say let's say DJ Shark gets banged up and and Marvin Jones is the primary outside guy Colin Johnson is on the other side and LaVisca is the primary slot guy you're still dealing with ETN you're still dealing with James Robinson and you're still dealing with like I mean Colin Johnson he looked pretty good to me last year he looked pretty good um like I like could Colin Johnson conceivably outplay Marvin Jones given that I think Colin Johnson's 24 and Marvin Jones is 30 going to turn 32 during the season. Like it's conceivable. The other thing about Colin Johnson is we don't know that much about him, which is like what we want given that, you know, he was a late draft pick uh, kind of under the radar guy. Cause he had a really injury riddled career at Texas. So he was good. He was like, good when he played at Texas and he played with a running quarterback at Texas, which I think always skews wide receiver numbers. That's a, uh, uh, I've never researched that, but that's always been something I've thought. Yeah. He's a big dude. Six, six, like, you know, and he, I, I agree. I think he looked good last year. So I find him kind of intriguing, but that is probably the guy that Marvin Jones is going to kill. I don't think he'll end up killing LaVisca or DJ. Like, no, no, he's going to be, he's going to be stealing snaps from, you know, this kind of interesting sleeper in, in Colin Johnson. Um, this, this yeah. is not what we were talking about and we'll, we'll go back to the upside conversation in a second, but I, I want, I've been wanting to make this point. LaVisca has become such a meme amongst all of us that I do feel like we have kind of forgotten DJ Shark a little bit. Like DJ Shark to me is a more prototypical alpha NFL wide receiver than LaVisca is. Like, and I'm not even, I'm not even saying anything bad about LaVisca, but Shark has like consistently earned volume, has performed well with bad quarterbacks, though his catch rate last year was brutal 7.6 yards per target after 8.5 yards per target he was only good he was only good as a sophomore and he wasn't that good like he was good for fantasy but like his efficiency his yards per hour run was like fine um and he was abysmal as a rookie and bad last year uh and actually behind lavisca in terms of yards per hour on last year lavisca was a rookie so i was you know i i'm generally between the two i'd rather have visca there was a period where you didn't have to take Visca first, but now you right. do because they go right next to each other. But now I'm in situations where LaVisca's already gone and Shark falls to me. I've started taking him more. So th- it's kind of – this is like the perfect time to start taking him because you're actually getting a discount. A discount. Yeah. And if you're taking him as the second wide receiver, like of course he has upside to be the wide receiver one, you know. I mean, I think in maybe like 60% of the time he is the wide receiver one. It's just It's kind of the upside thing, like – I think LaVisca could basically be Demarius Thomas. That That's the comp that I come to for LaVisca, that LaVisca's best case is not like a, like not like a Julio Jones type guy, but as a, because people forget like Demarius Thomas did so much of his damage, like not down the field. It was on 
like bubble screens and crossing routes and things like that, like that where you just could not tackle him because he was so exactly. absurd in the open field. Exactly. And he could do stuff downfield. He's a complete receiver, but he had that that explosion, you know, around the line of scrimmage as well. So I, th- I mean, that that kind of upside is worth chasing, even if, you know, most of the time DJ Shark does have the better season because Shark is kind of a more prototypical outside number one wide receiver. He's not going to be one of the best outside wide receivers in the league, I don't think, but, you know, pretty solid number one guy. And he put on weight this year. I mean, he, he did it because Urban Meyer told him he was soft, which isn't ideal. But, you know, he bulked up, apparently looks pretty good. So I'm not out on Shark at all. I just kind of wanted the discount that's now being provided. Yeah. Um, so, okay, let's, let's get a little bit back to the, the original conversation. Because I, I do. I, I believe that actually what it all stems from is it stems from the fundamental inability of human brains to process large numbers um and and like every every person knows this this has become like a super tired trope in any uh like fake intellectual conversation like this has probably been said on the take cast like a hundred times like you know people just don't process probabilities the right way and people have an extremely hard time with the idea that just any given fantasy team in a 12 team league is 8.3 percent to win that league people draft as if they're like 25 percent yeah it's a small field gpp it's a very very small field gpp you should be playing it like closer to a gpp than people play these like they're cash games like they're heads up games like you're not just trying to score you're not i mean that's why the gauge thing is so tough to me and the gauge caveat right the mike leone gauge caveat if we are in best ball drafts and you want to take gauge small swing you know get some usable weeks etc etc that's fine but but i'm more talking about managed leagues where it's like you have russell gage sitting on your bench all year he's he's like the worst pick because you're never even going to drop him because he is going to be a little he's a roster clogger like so evan silva we we drafted a team together in the main event last year and he's like davis we're not fucking taking mccall hardman he's a roster clogger we'll never drop him and we really won't be able to start him either but those are actually roster cloggers that i'm okay with because you can tell yourself the story we're like tyreek gets banged up hardman's getting like six jet sweeps a game he plays for the chiefs yada yada so on and so forth but someone like gauge is like an inverse roster clogger where you are like hoping to start him when you have three injuries and a bye week and he cranks you out 11 PPR points. Yeah. That's the thing with gauge is that you actually probably do start him a couple times, but he doesn't really help you. And the other thing with gauge is like, he tricks you into thinking you're a little bit better off at the position than you really are. And so like, you're not maybe hunting, you're not like going as aggressive when, you know, there's kind of a, when like, Diami Brown's on waivers and starting to show like he's coming on a little bit. You're not like aggressively pushing in to get him because you feel like you're a little bit better at wide receiver and don't need that upside, but you, you still very much do. Um, although I I'm with Evan a little bit on the Miko Hardman point, like Jalen Waddle comes down my, my rankings a bit for in managed in managed. Like those guys I do think are roster cloggers a bit, although Hardman has, um, has some contingent value. Uh, so he's, he's, he's got, he's got contingent and standalone. And we've talked about Harvin so much on this show, but like, yeah, 
every, like everyone, if you're listening to this show, you've heard the Hardman spiel a hundred times. We don't need to go, we don't need to go through it again. I don't know if you guys know that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But like, so I think that this is even true higher in the draft where people are not thinking about charts to upside. So like JK Dobbins is a guy that theoretically I should love theoretically could catch passes theoretically could score a bunch of touchdowns, right? Mark Ingram had like that, what, like a 15 touchdown season as a guy who was like barely ambulatory. I felt like I was watching Ravens games in 2019, just waiting for him to get hurt. And there were like three times he hobbled off onto the sideline. And then the next week it'd be like, nope, Mark Ingram, he's good to go. We're, we're not doing, we're not doing the Justice Hill thing, which was very frustrating. And I've even been pretty vocal about wanting to buy the dip on Ravens players. And I think that's true in the case of Mark Andrews. I think it's true in the case of Marquise Brown. I like Bateman. I, I think Sammy Watkins ADP in best ball is like a crime. You're telling me Sammy Watkins is not going to have two spike weeks this year. Like, of course he is. But Dobbins is the one who is priced the worst because I just don't think they're going to throw him the ball. Like the number one thing we know about running quarterbacks is that they do not throw the ball to the running back. And that's the problem. And Dobbins, I think you could even argue had a relatively upside season, given that he didn't really start playing until week seven, he ended up scoring nine touchdowns. No, two of them came in the first week when he only played 23 total snaps, but they only targeted him 24 times and he had more games with one or zero targets than games with three or more targets. And at that cost, it, like, it's just a horrible proposition. Like, it's so brutal. He also played the passing snaps. That's yes. the thing that's that's kind of crazy about Dobbins, right? Like, you can talk yourself – like, I'm talking myself into Antonio Gibson. I've, I've made the bull case for Antonio Gibson numerous times. But he was not playing the passing, passing snaps. Passing down. Like, at all. Like, they were – he wasn't pass blocking which is one of the reasons why I think, you know, he wasn't playing the snaps and, and why I think he, he will play right. a lot more this year. But when a guy's not even on the field and then you're, you can talk yourself more easily to him having a, a much a bigger role the following year, Dobbins was on the field. He's essentially their passing down back and it's the system that needs to fundamentally change to start throwing to the running back, which they've, you know, talked a little bit about doing, but as you pointed out, I mean, he has such low usage there so i mean it's just not going to happen enough he he would actually have to score 15 touchdowns to to pay off i think and he had what like over six yards per carry last year so he's coming off like a an upside season well well running backs with running quarterbacks see a huge boost in yards per carry and my guess my guess is that still like a little bit like i don't think he's going to do that again I mean, my guess would be that if, look, Lamar Jackson, when when he retires at whatever age he retires at, and you went back and did an analysis of every running back he played with, and then did like either when that running back was on a different team or, you know, on off stuff, my guess is that Lamar Jackson might be like the most yards per carry boosting quarterback for running backs in NFL history. That is, that, that would be my guess because it's not like Cam. Or and Vic was a scrambler. People forget that. Like Vic right. was a scrambler. They weren't running like QB power well, with Mike Vic. Vic was a scrambler because he was born into the wrong era. You know, imagine I mean? Mike. Like, imagine Michael Vic now. Like a mad. Yeah. Like, he'd run for fifteen hundred yards and twenty touchdowns. A season. It would be unreal. <laughs> It'd be amazing. That'd be so fun. <laughs> but and but like it's killing me because I love J.K. Dobbins the player, but I I mean he goes 
he's right next he's you know ass to ass with cd lamb you know yeah <laughs> do we have to put it like that yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean and it is like you know leone talks about this a lot and i think it's a great point but it's like you know the russell gage caveat that i mentioned earlier the reason like that works is like people are the point he makes is that like people are kind of getting this flip like you want upside early in the early draft. and and, and then safety you can, later you can get the usable weeks the, the veterans who aren't going to give you zeros on your best ball roster where you can't replace them those guys are actually more valuable than people think like sammy watkins is another example like sammy watkins is going to play like he'll get a couple spike weeks like that's it that's a nice little single that you can hit out of a out of a selection that most people are just going to get nothing so that makes sense but jk dobbins CD Lamb could be like the guy this year. Like Amari Cooper. Yeah, he could be the guy you need. Yeah. Amari Cooper might not practice. I mean, the reports now is he's not going to practice till mid-August. He'll probably be fine for week one. But like these when does Cedric Wilson back. like when does Cedric Wilson start getting an ADP? Oh my God. He doesn't yeah, even I mean, have it's... an AD, he doesn't even have an ADP on underdog right now. Like he's on that list of guys where it just shows the two little uh dashes instead of an ADP. Well, how many times are you taking him, Davis? I, I, think I, might... I got like I got like 10% Cedric Wilson. Okay. He's he's a little bit easier to take on drafters because it's 20 rounds. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, with, with Dak stacks at this point, especially if you, because Dak is on the other side of the board, so you end up with CD and Gallup more so than than Dak and Amari, at least I have. Um, and so, you, you know, the Cedric Wilson thing is a play against Amari when you don't have Amari, I think makes sense. Gallup, yeah. if I mean, if Amari doesn't play, Gallup is such a smash. So I wanna, I wanna push back, or we'll just expand upon the. Um, so the the other thing about Russell Gage is that profile of player the last two years on underdog and draft would have been a 17th, 16th round selection, and now with how wide receiver crazy the drafts have gone he's been pushed way up in these best ball leagues. It's a much different thing to take a guy locked in. I mean, Russell Gage, like worst case, he's getting like 80 targets. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that would have been like literally 17th round last year, probably. And the market was already pricing in Julio Jones leaving before he left. Then Julio Jones actually left. And it feels like the market is double counting that. Double counted it. Yeah. And it's triple counting it because Gage's role hasn't, hasn't changed at all. Like it never should have been priced in. And Gage is also at a point in the draft where like, you know, who's also going to play a lot this year, Rondale Moore. Like we're not actually concerned about these guys getting on the field and they have upside way beyond Russell Gage. So like who cares how many times Russell Gage outscores Rondale Moore or Rashad Bateman in like a simulation of a season, because Russell Gage will never be the guy you needed this year. That's just 0% chance. Rondale Moore and Rashad Bateman have the chance to be, you know, a they're guy not going to do what Justin Jefferson did, but they're, they have that chance to kind of be one of the breakout guys. Like, you know, the year before we saw the second year guys like Gallup and shark and, you know, emerging from the double digit rounds. That's like why you take those stabs because when you get one of those guys, it makes up for so much else. You know, like you're just not going to win these leagues, like just hitting, you know, like only hitting singles throughout the entire draft. Like you need to hit home runs because there's home runs to be had. If you're not hitting them, someone else is hitting them. So some, a guy I I think actually falls into this category, despite literal direct evidence to the contrary is Adam Thielen 
who scored 14 touchdowns on 108 targets last season. I, I have taken very little Adam Thielen for a couple of reasons. The first is I would anticipate Justin Jefferson's target share dominance over him to grow, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. to diminish. Like last season, you know, I'm, I'm doing the projections for Daily Roto and kind of most weeks it was like 26% for Jefferson, 24.5% for Adam Thielen, like really, really close. And that gap obviously widened as the season went on. But Justin Jefferson was way more efficient per target, 11.2 yards per target, 8.6 for Thielen. The other thing is Dalvin Cook is just going to score all the touchdowns for this team. Like a lot of a lot of Thielen's touchdowns were like very uh, – I can even I can even actually go pull this up, uh, like his actual – And Justin Jefferson was awesome in the, in the short area, in the goal line area too. Yeah. So, so I think he could definitely lose out on some of that. Like, yeah, like Thielen's touchdowns were like three yard pass, two yard pass, six yard pass, uh, two yard pass, six yard pass, three yard pass, nine yard pass. Like, he was not, I, I'm literally looking right now, his longest touchdown, um, this last season was 19 yards. His long, or no, no, week, week four, he or week one, he had a 37 yard passing touchdown, but more than 50% of his touchdowns were inside the five. And that feels for a a guy of his age, stature, target competition, that feels very non-repeatable. Yeah, I'm with you. I haven't been drafting Thielen really much at all. I've I've tried to get myself to have a little exposure to him, but like last night in the pros versus Joes, I took Ayuk over Thielen, which I thought Twitter would yell at me about. That's like a classic Twitter hates the pick. Pick. No, but people are but so no enamored really by Ayuk. People are so yeah. enamored by Ayuk, and he's a guy. I've the the way you described it on ship chasing was exactly the way I think about it. I want a wide receiver there. I want as many second year breakouts as possible. He sets me up with optionality with the Trey Lance stack in the double digit rounds. But I don't feel that strongly about him breaking out versus Claypool versus Judy versus Sutton even, or even versus his teammate, Debo Samuel. Like if you, if I, I bet I have them projected super close. Like I bet I don't have a big gap in, mm-hmm. I, I'd have to pull it up, but I bet I, I know for a fact, I don't have a big gap in projected production between Debo and Ayuk. And we don't have a good sample with them because their biggest weeks have been with the other one out, right? right. Debo as a rookie. And then Ayuk with Debo banged up last year on a really weird 49ers team that was struggling through like running back injuries, wide receiver injuries, Kittle injuries, like it was all bizarre. And so I, I'm in the same position as you, as I totally buy the Ayuk upside case, like contextually, but in terms of like Brandon Ayuk, the actual player in the 49ers offense, it would not surprise me if he busted and Debo and Kittle were the guys you needed to have. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he busted either. And I was on chip chasing, I was mentioning like, I like Ayuk, I want to take Ayuk, but then the other things that don't really have to do with the upside case for Ayuk are also pushing me to take him like things like I can set up the land stack later, which is, which makes him appealing. He's also the the first guy that I have in the tier right after Higgins. Like I, I see a tier break between Higgins and then Ayuk, but they go pretty close and I'm always getting sniped on Higgins. So I'm like ready to go lined up my structures in place to grab Higgins. He's gone. What do I do? I, I pivot to Ayuk a lot, but that's not a reason to really like Ayuk. It's just kind of like a structural thing. Um, 
And then just in those rounds in general, I really want to be taking wide receivers. The other thing is that he's never going to fall. Like if you're in the middle of the fifth, he's never coming back to the sixth. Like a Claypool, I'll pass there if Ayuk's already gone because I can try to get Claypool in the sixth a lot of times. So Ayuk's ADP is pretty tight. So there's like all these reasons to just go ahead and grab Ayuk. But those reasons, if he busts, like could leave you like too overexposed. Um, so I'm trying to just think through that a little bit. Like I, I probably need to cool off a little bit on my Ayuk exposure um, because things are pushing me onto him that aren't the actual upside case for drafting him in the first place. But I really do love the upside case for him. I think Debo, I like a lot of Debo was like way undervalued early in the offseason. He started to come up a little bit, um, but I still love drafting Debo. The thing with Ayuk is that he did everything in the offense. At times he was a deep threat. Yeah. At times he was doing the Debo stuff. He gets intermediate targets. Like he has that profile, you know, like we saw from Diggs where he can do everything, you know, and then if you, if you can, like we see with DJ Moore, I'm hoping we'll, you know, have a Diggs like breakout, but you, I love these guys who can, who can do everything as wide receivers. Cause I think that's like kind of how you are going to be a true alpha. So he has that, that upside to be like a real number one where Debo, like we know what Debo is going to do. Like so much of it is him kind of operating as a, as a running back of sorts um, with all the shallow stuff. I mean, his ADOT in a lot of these games was like zero. So I, I don't like, I don't actually think they're that close in terms of, you know, which one you want to have. If you're going to be heavily overweighted to one, I do think it's Ayuk, but See, I don't feel uh, that strongly. Downside as well. Really, I don't. I, I don't feel that like, strongly. What scenario is is Debo just like? I mean, Debo has no nineteen point per game seasons in him. I don't think he Debo might be. I mean, Debo might be better though. Like Debo, Debo might, might be a be better, better. Yeah, he might be a better football player. I mean, fifteen games as a rookie. That that is what that is kind of what you see with with Debo, right? Six touchdowns. 961 yards they used him in they used him in the role that they then transitioned Ayuk into where he was getting like rushing attempts and and things like that I mean he was super good as like uh, a rookie and he he just had a lost season last year like he just was so he was just so banged up he was on the COVID list he was on he was injured in the preseason so they didn't really have a chance to like you know bring him back up to speed I, which yeah, I, you know I can't really fault him for that and he had you know uh, in a in a must win game against the Rams, he comes off of the uh, the COVID nineteen list and has thirteen targets right away. Like, I I think they yeah. I think Debo is really good. I think he's really good too, and I think there's like plenty of scenarios where Debo scores like sixteen points a game, Kittle's an absolute smash, and Ayuk has like twelve, and Ayuk is just you're just you know you're just crying with your Ayuk shares because he he's not like an absolute bust, but the guys around him are smashing, you know, Claypool's going off. Higgins is going off and you're getting like 11 and a half, 12 points per game for my and his teammates are doing awesome. Like that's definitely in play. Um, but I don't think the like Debo is, you know, outscoring Calvin Ridley last year or, or you know, what DeAndre Hopkins did last year. Well, I don't think, really I don't, I think the yeah. only, I think the only, 49ers player who can truly be the guy you have to have 
is Kittle or Lance. I, I actually don't think that this – like the more I think about it, I don't think the offense will be high enough volume for a 20 points per game season for Ayuk or Debo. I think it's, I think it's only Kittle or only Lance that, that Lance turns into like a, a Cam Newton-esque goal line rusher because he's so he's – like he's a gigantic human being. So like DK Metcalf had 17.1 points per game last year. The offense fell off at the end. I think we could see, see IU, that, yeah, become kind of a DK Metcalf type of breakout. So, you know, maybe it's more like in that 18 points per game range is really his upside rather than 20. But I, I think, I think Samuel's capped at more like 15 and a half, 16. So, you know, you're chasing a couple more points of upside with that. You, which I mean, to your point, like the, the Debo. Debo's a really good pick. So it's that's like another thing with my Ayuk exposure where I'm like, you know, I'm already kind of talking myself into him for reasons other than the upside case. So, um, but God, I have a lot of Debo too. Debo's such a nice consolation prize. Are you like with the Debo tier, he's going around like guys like Robbie Anderson, guys who like feel safer. Are you, are you mixing? Those so the, the problem, the problem with Debo is he goes right around LaVisca. And right. so I'm never taking I'm never taking him over Lavisca. So I my my portfolio right now is unbalanced, where I'm just taking Lavisca. I think Lavisca is my third most owned player in in best ball right now, and it's just like I don't feel like that needs to be unbalanced. Like I feel I'm actually okay with that. I'm okay being maybe a little under on Debo and way over on Lavisca. So Pete and I spent an entire year playing a highlight reel every time we draft LaVisca Chanel. Come to find out, Pete's not really even that into him. And that not even into LaVisca him. exposure than me. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I do take Debo there. I, I don't take him exclusively, but I mix him in. Because LaVisca, occasionally, you know, you can get, like, generally in that, like, early seventh round range, um, or even, like, late sixth, depend, like, like, 6'12", 6'11", like, Visca, I know I can get on the other half of the board, and I have a lot of exposure already. Debo's not usually there, and he's never really in the eighth. So I am mixing in Debo there. I, I, I think he's kind of a fun reason to be on that side of the board. Um, and then there's a small, small chance that, you know, Visca comes back, although I guess that's not really happening anymore. But he used to go in the eighth, so you can, you can talk yourself into him falling a little bit more. Well, and I mean, I can just see the Jaguars probably throwing like a hundred more passes than the 49ers. The 49ers last year threw 570 passes. Uh, the previous season, they threw, they were a really good team and they threw the 29th most passes in the NFL, 478 pass attempts in a year they went to the Super Bowl. So it's like, we're drafting three pass catchers for a Jimmy Garoppolo running rookie quarterback tandem in the top 80 picks of fantasy football drafts. Like there are not enough pass attempts for all three of those guys to get there. Like I, I feel pretty confident that it'll be a two of the three situation. I'm, I'm not that confident about that because you, you don't need that much volume for Kittle to hit like Kittle. And, and they might have a very, volume. they might have a very condensed passing tree as well. Exactly. Like this is this is like this is like the Panthers without uh without McCaffrey and without Mike Davis. Like they're not gonna throw to their running back even as much as they threw to Mike Davis. And you take that like Curtis Samuel level volume, you know, you give that to Kittle, like 
the fact that you get the tight end el- eligibility is is half the reason he's smashing. So I think uh, I think these guys can get there regardless of who the quarterback is. And the thing that I like about them in terms of the quarterback situation is that I think they are very set up for good quarterback play because like if we get a ton of Jimmy, it's because Jimmy was holding off playing Lance. well. Yeah. And if we get Lance, it's probably because he's playing so well that they, that, you know, they now, of course, Jimmy might completely suck this year and they're forced or to get hurt Lance or, or Lance just might not, might not be ready. Yeah. So, you know, but the, you have two outs to really good quarterback play. Um, and so while I often am stacking these guys with Lance, I think you don't even really have to, like, I think it's fine to get multiple pieces of San Francisco's passing offense. And then I always try to get Lance, but I'm not like devastated if I don't, because the condensed nature of this offense, I think like that is going to be hard. Like, how does that not happen? Right. Richie James, is he going to come in and, and yeah, Kendrick Bourne, not even on the team. Yeah. Kendrick Bourne's gone. Uh, you got Jalen Hurd. Um, Trent uh, Sherfield is the guy that they're like sure is going to make the team because of special teams ability. And then like literally like no one knows who the wide receiver three there is going to be right now. So, you know, the, the target shares, the moat between the top three and everyone else is gigantic here. Yeah. I mean, I, I buy that. And like, I probably, I probably, I guess maybe I do need to start trying to take Debo a little bit more. And like, I, like I'm obviously like all in on Trey Lance. Um, Let's see. Let's see if the underdog exposure works. Let's see if the, the tools back, it might, it might not be. Um, I, I would wager that Lance is, yeah, Lance is my most owned quarterback, 26%. Trevor, funnily enough, Trevor Lawrence is second at 19%. So the, the, I mean, that, that is, of all of the the ways that the market has become more efficient, the rookie quarterbacks are, I think, the biggest inefficiency because uh, Fields, Lance, Lawrence, Zach Wilson, all of those guys, I think, have potential top twelve seasons in them. Um, yeah, you know, just and but they're not being drafted there because of it. The market is uncertain on them. Yeah, and the Zach Wilson one, I, I just I really like drafting Zach Wilson this year. The other thing, like Elijah Moore, you know, I, I've been taking Elijah Moore a lot. He's uh, going higher in ADP. So if you want him, you got to take him. But then he also sets you up for the Zach Wilson stack. Backdoor. And you also have Jamison Crowder going there. So cheap. And you want to just talk about like a safe, cheap veteran who's going to like, I mean, he's going like five rounds after Cage sometimes. I mean, Crow- so- Crowder is the the actual, the the reverse argument to what we're saying about only drafting for upside because Crowder is the perfect example for Leone's spiked volume weeks. Like yeah. it's it's not spiked like long touchdown weeks like you get from rugs or something. It's Jameson Crowder had 13 targets because the Jets were losing by, by 20 to the Patriots this week. He's the actual better in best ball pick. Right, because he's going to get a ton of targets certain weeks. You don't know when they are. I'm not drafting him and managed. I'm shooting for upside there and managed. I'm probably taking a running back with that pick and managed because I've been smashing wide receiver even more in the early rounds. So, you know, I'm not saying we need to ignore the upside and take Jameson Crowder. I'm making the same point I was making earlier with Gage of like in best ball, it's actually okay to kind of mix in some of the safer guys, and you should be shooting for upside early. Um, but to be able to go Elijah Moore, I mean, that's the upside pick. And then you can get Crowder and then Zach Wilson for Zach free. Wilson. It's really nice. You're getting two of the guys wide receivers. I mean, the 
the other thing with Moore is that the upside with him isn't that he's in the slot. It's that he's playing the Z. Both. Yeah. Or, both. or that he does both. Yeah. And they just don't sub him out. Yeah. But you're getting you're getting Crowder mixing in in those cases a fair amount. Like, you, you know, and so both guys, I think, can hit. Um, and really, it'd be Keelan Cole and Denzel Mims that aren't getting, uh, you know, huge roles when both those guys hit in tandem which i mean are we that excited about keelan cole and denzel mims like that's not hard some people are some people are excited about keelan cole is there they're out there is there a more (laughs) is there a more perfect like mike leone versus ship chasers dichotomy than right now in ffpc main event uh adp elijah moore goes 108 at wide receiver 48 and Jarvis Landry goes 109 wide receiver 49. Is there like a more perfect one <laughs> V one spot in the history of Leone versus the ship chasers? Like you get up on the clock and Leone's like, all right, we're taking Jarvis Landry here. He's locked in. You know, they had the weird win season, but he's got the volume. <laughs> well, they, they played three games in like Gale force I wins. I know he's more OBJ than Landry. I think. I feel like Landry is the, I mean, I, I very rarely take Odell Beckham because Claypool's right there. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, Landry is – he just – I mean, he is what he is. There's literally nothing exciting to say about Jarvis Landry. No, there's nothing exciting to say about him. I mean, the other thing with Landry and these managed leagues is, like, I'm already so comfortable with my wide receivers at that point that I'm, I'm probably still thing. taking one. But, like, I'm taking – it's like, what – the guy has to do to make my starting lineup the bar is pretty high there there is diminishing returns with jarvis landry with russell gage um i mean oh even God. even even jamison crowder um yeah diminish- that, i'm I not mean, taking those guys at that i mean gage and crowder i'm not taking at all honestly yeah. even diminishing returns on a guy i like like Devonte parker but i don't i don't yep. think Devonte parker has 80 receptions, 1,100 yards, 10 touchdowns. I, I think he Devontae Parker is now transitioned into being more like a safe, you know, you kind of know what you're getting with him style guy. Like, I, I think the upside in that offense is Fuller and Waddle, whereas we kind of know what Parker's going to do. Yeah, Landry and Parker, I think, allow you to recover from, like, if you're, let's say you start running back tight end and then you want to go elite quarterback as well as well then you can come back and get a landry and a parker so they do have their uses but in builds where i'm going you know wide receiver heavy where i let's say i don't i go true zero running back i don't take that running back or i don't get the elite tight end i'm i'm usually replacing that pick with a wide receiver and so i then don't really have the need to go with a, a landry or a parker yeah. Uh, okay. Let's let's get into some of the ways that people miss this at running back too. Now, the the big difference is the the baseline for for ha- even in managed leagues for hitting your lineups in best ball leagues or starting a guy at running back two in managed leagues. The baseline is much lower than your fourth wide receiver. How how we do teams. Now there will be people listening to this who are wanting to start running backs and their flex and things. Whatever we're. I mean, I can't imagine you've made it this far into the show if you're like, dude, I got to start. <laughs> he, I got to start. Those people turned the show off. <laughs> <laughs> but so I think there are a couple guys who I even theoretically like on like zero running back teams that actually are a bad application of drafting for upside. One of them is definitely Jamal Williams at running back mm-hmm. 42. 
I, I like as a theoretical zero running back selection, he's really good because he's got standalone value and he'll have some contingent value. But how high is his upside really if DeAndre Swift doesn't get hurt? You're, you're thinking like I, 10 rushes a game as kind of like, you know, at, at the end of the year, 170 rushing attempts and maybe like 40 or 50 targets. But even that would be a really weird volume split. And a guy I kind of like as well. I feel like Gus Edwards is the Russell Gage of running backs where he, he literally has no upside. The, the Ravens could be out Justice Hill, Tyson Williams, and uh, J.K. Dobbins. And Gus Edwards is still maxing out at like 16 receptions in a season and is totally and is yeah, not and a high. Back Kenneth Dixon and he's in a he's in a committee again. Well, he's not even a high yards per carry guy either. Like it's not like he's ripping off like like 27 yard touchdowns all that often. Right. It's all goal line touchdowns. Any any week where Gus Edwards doesn't have a touchdown in like 0.5 PPR, I feel like he can't get 10 points. Yeah, I, I take some Gus Edwards, um, but very strictly really in like true zero running back builds. And that's kind of the fun thing about, you know, like if you're doing zero running back, if you're doing some one elite running back, you know, you're you're able to kind of mix these exposures and mix the, the profiles that you're targeting. Because there are situations where I'm like, I could really use the Gus Edwards touchdown spike weeks. And he's He's sort of like, sure. I think he's got a little bit more upside than James White and Giovanni Bernard. Um, I, I think Gio, actually, I need to start recanting on this. And I've said this before. I need to start going the other way on Gio because I actually do think if Ronald Jones gets hurt, Gio is capable of being a three down running back and that they, the Tampa Bay might actually view him that way. Whereas James White has zero, like he is 0% to be a three down running back. Oh, I definitely prefer Gio over James White. I think partly just because we know we're getting a guy who's going to throw to his running backs at times. Well, it depends on the build. Like, I, I think James White has, like, an 80-catch season in his range of outcomes that Gio, that Gio does not. I, that I mean, so Arians is already talking about how Gio's his nickelback, and Arians is obsessed with this nickelback role. Like, he was playing Dari Gumbawale in 2019 like i mean we know the role geo is playing geo is going to yeah. play a bunch of snaps yeah a ton of snaps he's going to play all the third downs he's going to play all the hurry up he's going to all the two minute drill stuff like he is going to be out there a lot if that's that was always the question with him is he going to be what arians calls a nickelback arians has already said yes he will be that and i, I mean he doesn't have the i, I mean fournette's going to play a ton if roger goes down he's going to get they're not going to I don't think shift to. I don't know, man. I just, I just feel like Fournette is so bad that, like, even Bruce Arians can see him play and be like, you know, thanks for all you did, Lombardi Lenny, but this is just too much. Like, I Fournette don't know. I mean, just... he's not. He's a better rusher than Geo, and I'm like, I'm out here slandering Fournette and stuff. Oh my I god, mean, I need on. to he's clip a better that. rusher to... than Geo. <laughs> I need to clip that and put that on social media. <laughs> Leonard Fournette is a better rusher than Giovanni Bernard. There you go. There Throw you it go. out there. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I just also like in my, in my mental calculus of that team, I'm just assuming Fournette either gets hurt or cut at some point. Yeah. I think he solidified his roster spot with that playoff run. They gave him a contract too. Yeah. They, right. They re-signed him. They didn't have to do that. Um, yeah. and Keyshawn Vaughn, I mean, he's, he's the real savior for Lenny. Like if Keyshawn Vaughn could play, 
Lenny would have been cut, I think. Yeah. They just didn't really have any other options. Yeah. But uh, so uh, this is an interesting thought experiment. If Cam Newton gets hurt in the preseason and Mac Jones is locked into starting 17 games and Ramondre Stevenson starts the year on the NFI or the pup list, what do you, what do you have for James White's target projection considering the strength of their wide receivers? Yeah. I mean, that, that's uh that's where he, he beats geo. Cause it's just the two guys. Um, and none, none of their other running backs. I mean, even you and I both like fear like, like Ramondre Stevenson, but it's not going to surprise us if he doesn't play a single snap as a rookie. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. And I have, so Pete, Pete has been like tracking my, my running back loves in a spreadsheet. Um, yeah. And so he knows, he knows that Ramondre was the first guy, but I've cooled off on Ramondre. Now I've been going hard on Ty Johnson. I'm starting to move over to JV and Hawkins. And this is the concept I talked about here several weeks ago, where it's like, you know, fall in love with a new late round flyer every week. I haven't been able to do that. It's more like every three weeks, but I still think, you, you it's know, kind you of know, who my, you know, who my new one is. Who? It's an old love that I've rekindled. It's Damian Williams. Oh Damian, yeah. That's Damian, a good one. Damian is like the smash late round pick right now because he has real standalone value. Tari Cohen's on the pup. Doesn't look like he's going to be back by week one. But if David Montgomery gets hurt, we know exactly what they're doing with Tariq Cohen. He's going to stay in the same role he's always been in. He's not yeah. like Tariq Cohen's not playing more. Damian is Damian is like a real like Samaj like Samaj Pirine is the guy that Bime Four loves and takes a bunch. But like I I think Damian is much better, and we know the offensive coordinator likes him. Damian's good. He's a good football player. I I like him. I think uh, you know maybe I should. Maybe I should try to move over to Damian because like Javion Hawkins, I, I tried to kind of make that a thing. He's 183 pounds, like just wasn't working. So I think I might, uh, I might see if there's anything. Dude, it's with fucking C- it's fucking CP in Atlanta. <laughs> you think? I mean, I, he doesn't have running back eligibility on a bunch of these sites. Which it's the, me. I mean, and, and Pete was saying this on your guys' stream last night. Um, I watched it this morning. Like, Mike Davis, or maybe you were saying it, but like Mike Davis is like literally the most fragile projection in mm-hmm. fantasy football right now, where it's like we're giving him the Todd Gurley role, the Tevin Coleman role, the Devonta Freeman role. But like if one thing goes wrong, we're looking at like a four-way timeshare where CP's getting jet sweeps, JV and Hawkins is playing third downs, Quadra Olison's playing at the goal line. You know, like it's it's all bad. Uh if yeah, very easily. Mike Davis is one of those guys like when you remember when like your first kind of getting more into fantasy and you'd be like, Oh, well this guy's like clearly a value. Clearly the guy people who'd been like playing way longer were like, he's not it dude. And you're like, well, what do you know, dude? Like, blah, 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 blah. And then you were wrong. I think that's Mike Dave. <laughs> it's Mike Davis. And, and I'm right now. <laughs> that's a, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's like, because a lot of times it's like even hard to explain, like, how could Javian Hawkins ruin this? How could Quadri Allison ruin this? Like whatever. But it's like well, the answer is that they all ruin it a little bit. The answer is that yeah. Mike Davis plays 59% of the snaps. Quadri Olison gets 30% of the goal line carries. Javian Hawkins plays 25% of the third downs. CP gets four touches a game. Like, and they all just ruin it a little bit. Right. Right. And this, I mean, this might just this might not be a team where we really want a running back who doesn't have a stranglehold on all the snaps. 
right? Like, and, what if Jacksonville and, snaps had been split up last year? Like, James Robinson would not have been a thing. It's like he was playing like eighty-five percent of the snaps. Well, and and to that point, um, the the Panthers had already started doing that to Mike Davis last year, and and people don't even remember this, but he started playing, he went from playing like 80% of the snaps to playing like 50 to 60% of the snaps. They were giving carries to Rodney Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, they were giving carries to, there was another guy that they were Trent, Trenton Cannon. They were, they oh, started yeah, playing what, Trenton. That's what it was. They started playing Trenton Cannon on third downs. And it's like, Mike Davis went from being like, Oh, you got to play him at seven K on DraftKings this week to like, Oh, he's useless. He's not helping, you know, 15 carries for 55 yards and three receptions you know, and that's no, that you don't want that. That's no good. Right. It's really not yeah, that, good in the fifth round. It's really not good in the fifth round. That's the thing where you're like, you're starting Mike Davis. And a lot of those weeks are going to be crap weeks. You know, it's not, it's not a best ball thing. You know, like, well, I, I don't love him at best ball. I've joked about how Leone made us compliment his Mike Davis team, which still tilts yeah. me. I'm still so tilted that he like drafted a, a an intelligent Mike Davis best ball team, but especially managed like, you know, you can, you can catch up on the Mike Davis owner so easily. Like you're going to be able to find a guy who's like maybe outscoring Mike Davis for free. James you know? White, Daryl Williams, yeah. Damian yeah. Williams, Kenneth Gainwell, Giovanni Bernard. Yeah. Yeah. Damian Williams, I think, especially with like the contingent value. Um, but you know, what there's going to be, what about gonna be guys who we don't know who they are. Who yeah. are going to have good, like they're, we're going to have to Google people's names this Savan, year Savan Ahmed yeah yeah like I didn't know who he was didn't and then know. he had yep. a run like that's that's going to happen again it happens every year that's like that's like the key difference between best ball and manage is that in best ball you can create a pretty literal defense that is used like Mike Davis not the worst pick in the world in best ball leagues because first off he's going to start out the year getting you points which is a big deal um, like you need the points at the beginning mm-hmm. of the season. And if he stays healthy, I mean, even in your, you know, you're in the week 17 championships and he gives you 11 points, like maybe you needed those yep. 11 points or whatever, but in managed leagues, you, I mean, Larry Roundtree, Benny Snell, Wayne Gallman, Mike Boone, like Justin Jackson, Sony Michelle gets traded, you know, Mark Ingram shows up and is, is taking every carry for the Texans in week 15, you know, Eno Benjamin, right. Chase Edmonds gets banged up and James Connor is no good. And like, those guys aren't getting drafted in best ball. Yeah. Like just like, be honest with yourself. Like, did you know who Xavier Jones and Jake Funk were a couple weeks ago? Like I did I, know who I, Xavier Jones was cause he was really good in college. Okay. So like that's what happens, right? Like there's a bunch of guys like Jake Funk and Xavier Jones, and these guys might not might not do anything, but it's like eventually, you know, all these kind of other names emerge because there's injuries at the running back position. Guys, you know, completely disappoint, et cetera, et cetera. And you have like two, three game stretches where, you know, dudes that we have not spent one second thinking about this entire best ball season all of a sudden guys that are pretty easy to slot into your starting lineup like they're they're projectable we can say like they they have a very good shot of like a top 25 week this this week you know and you're you're like catching up on guys who spent a ton of their draft capital on dudes that we can project right now but like that who cares who you can project right now to some extent obviously projections have their uses but that's not it's not gonna if you're only relying on projects projectable points like 
Yeah, and you guys, you guys give me shit for being like the running back guy in these best ball leagues, like buying forwards on ship chasing. Like every fucking Davis, draft you, I'm in with Davis, he takes two running ben backs. Gretsch, you took, you went with Ben Gretsch and Sean Siegel, and they went running back, running back. Was like, not you my are, idea. You, you are I, a force I, of it was, of running backs. <laughs> it wasn't even that. Like if you listen to the Stealing Banana show, it, it literally was not my idea. Like Sean was like, we should do this, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, sure. I haven't listened. Well, I was yet. I was I, on I board. I was on board because also I know that if I start out with two running backs in a manage league, I'm fine not taking running back. Like I literally like we were like, should we just take two running backs in the entire draft? Like which I would have been fine with because. So your defense is that Sean Siegel, the man who penned zero running back, is was dying to take running backs and not just nicely deferring to your running back love. Because it was because of who the running backs were. If it was, if I was like, we really got to take Austin Eckler and Nick Chubb here, he would have overruled me. But it was because it was yeah. Barkley and JT that he was like, okay. Like, mm. we, I mean, he loves Jonathan Taylor. Like, he, he, loves, Jonathan jo- Taylor, he, he yeah. loves Jonathan Taylor. And the argument with Saquon is very obvious. It's but in super these, obvious. In these, in these best ball leagues, I actually like, I, and I know the wide receiver ADP has gotten crazy, but starting out, Alvin Kamara, Joe Mixon, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, CEH, uh, Barkley, JT, which you can now do on the turn in some of these leagues because Barkley's fallen because of concerns about the knee. You, I, I feel like that is, and I know there is a great argument for zero running back or just taking one running back and getting Diggs or Adams or Tyreek or whoever. That's what I prefer. I, yeah. I do I do feel like the, the first thing I feel is that the market will leave you one of CD or D, or DJ more there like mm-hmm. almost like every time pretty much with that start. So I feel like I capture a guy who can finish as a top five wide receiver very easily in taking those guys. And then also Claypool, Judy, Debo, Shark, LaVisca, you know, and then and then taking like I'm probably taking nine or ten wide receivers and those builds and only four running backs. And like if I'm only gonna take four running backs, I would prefer to have guys with actual upside like but you know buying always gives me shit about taking james white and he's right that in a build where you take two elite running backs james white doesn't actually do anything for you because if you're using those scores right you're you're kind of screwed and so i would actually prefer to be taking less guys like that where i'm just hoping to grind out eight points and more guys like josh kelly more guys like uh you know, Jared Dokes or Samaj P. Ryan or whoever, right. like guys who with an injury and, and then you don't even need those guys per se. Like if you're using Josh Kelly's score, it means that he's like the clear goal back. So I, I get a lot of shit as the running, the, the double running back guy, but I actually, I mean, last night in pros versus Joe's, which we can talk about now, I took Tyreek in the first, instead of reaching on, uh, I think I took him over Derek Henry, maybe, um, but because that is a that is a format, and especially that room. But uh, in football, guys, and main events in general, where pros versus Joe's is not a managed league. But I feel like that baseline for running back two production is much lower in managed leagues. Yeah, it's it's yeah the baseline. You're saying the baseline of what you need at the running back two production. Well, and you have you have and the other thing is you have more chances to get your league winning running back. Like you don't have right. to draft. You don't have to draft. Savan Ahmed, you you know you don't have to dra- yeah. you don't even have to draft James Robinson. You can get that guy on waivers later. Well, this is a, this is another Leone point. It's like the amount of running backs that are going to hit your roster in a managed league might be like twenty five over the course of the yes. season. So it's not like you know the guys you're taking at the end are just like your first attempts. 
but you're going to have many, many more attempts. And, you know, therefore it, that's one of the reasons to take more running backs early in best ball. Cause you don't get all those extra attempts. The thing with the best ball stuff is like the running back, running back starts, I think have gotten harder because there used to be guys going in like rounds. There weren't a ton. Like there was like one wide receiver always there in round eight, one in round nine, like one in round 10, you could kind of scoop yep. every single round. You'd be like, I'll just, I'll scoop the value here. I'll scoop the value here. And you can make up for running back, running back start very easily. But that has changed at least as we, as we sit here today, I don't know, maybe the ADP shifts back again though, in August, like I've been taking, I've been doing a lot more zero running back builds um, over the last few weeks, because that's how you still crush with the wide receivers and the flex and then the running back value in rounds seven, eight, nine, ten has gotten really nice. So I'm I'm ending up with zero running back teams. And I'm like I could almost go four here sometimes. It's pretty wild. Um, but then in August, does that shift back to where there aren't those running back values because people are are building more poor structures? Yeah, they're drafting their like starting people, lineups. Yeah, the people drafting right now are really sharp. So I think the you know, those like the Zeke CH starts, the the Barkley Taylor starts, like those are appealing if you can get enough wide receiver firepower later. And that's the part it's the yeah, you can well, still you, get a you CD, kind you of still get a DJ. You, you kind of make up depth. you make up you well theoretically, and you know, you draft a bunch of these teams. So hopefully you make it up with distribution that you right. that the distribution of spiked weeks of your your Demarcus Robinsons, your Dwayne Eskridges makes up for some of that discrepancy in in the end while while still having good wide receivers that you like while still having your dj moore's your tyler boyd's your your you know your judy's your claypools etc etc it's just like in a world where odo beckham's in the fifth round like that's it's just tough and i and i don't think which is why i've ended up which is why i've ended up so overweight on iu because i'm always needing wide receivers there Right. Right. Exactly. Because I am taking two running backs to start a huge chunk of the time. Like CEH and Antonio Gibson are my two most high drafted players, which means I'm drafting a lot of running backs in the second round. Right. I actually have been, I mean, CEH is a guy I need to get my exposure up on. And I've been thinking through like, you know, CEH allows you to do some interesting stuff where you don't take a running back in the first. You either go Kelsey or you go wide receiver. And then you can come back and get CH and you're doing that from a position where, you know, pretty much everyone is taking that running back. Cause I'm talking about like the one Oh three, the one Oh four, the one Oh five, like everyone's taking running back there basically. So, I mean, it's, you will see Kelsey a little bit, but if you're taking the wide receiver, then you can, you can make up for it a little bit with the CH upside. CH, you're still passing on wide receivers. I really like, but like I said, I think but he, CH could be the number one. Up. I mean, CH could yeah. be the top running back in fantasy. Like he could score the most fantasy points and he, he can do a it. Huge season. He can do it. The The key thing is to me is that he can do it without being particularly good. Whereas like Antonio Gibson or Joe Mixon, I think those guys will have to play really well. Like I think they'll have to be above and beyond super skilled. Whereas I think CH can be fancy Damian Williams and have 1900 yards, 80 receptions and 20 touchdowns. Yeah, I, I actually don't completely agree that Gibson has to be super good to get there because well, I think like he McKissick, is super good. I think he is super good. Yeah. But McKissick had almost seven targets a game last year. True. And, and Gibson I think. had over three. 
Yeah. So like between the two of them, there's so many targets. We're going to see targets to the running backs decrease because of Alex Smith to Ryan Fitzpatrick, but not, I mean, there were 10, there were 10 targets per game going to the running back. So we, you know, we could see three less targets per game and it's still like pretty massive. Um, but I do think that Gibson Gibson's probably more likely to end up around like five or six targets per game in the, in the upside case, and then add a bunch of big play efficiency on top. Like he's probably not going to end up being David Johnson, but he might, I think he might he end up being be. more like a Todd Gurley type of like, he's getting five, six or Melvin Gordon, like five, six receptions per game. Man, that, that but David Johnson, that David Johnson running back one season was so yeah, beautiful. It was beautiful. 2,100 yeah, yards, still, 20 touchdowns, 80 receptions. Just amazing. Yeah. I think Gibson has a path to that type of season. Um, Hard agree. But I think, Hard agree. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got – he can do the David Johnson, which another another converted wide receiver freak athlete, like very, very comparable. CH, you're right, is more akin to Todd Gurley where it's, it's, just, it's like he's good enough and he's getting good volume and he's getting a monopoly of the goal line touches. Well, CH, I think it's like, um, I mean, CH in some ways is like could could be like a poor man's McCaffrey, you know. McCaffrey yes, was that's actually kind of a probably play runner too. I I didn't want to say it, but like it it's like he is like budget CMC, where it's yeah. like the team is just always giving it to him on the two yard line. They're giving him loads of screen passes. They're giving him easy wheel routes, which is what they did with Damian, by the way, in the playoffs. Right. That's basically it's not Damien wasn't getting 25 carries a game, but he was just getting layup touchdowns and very easy receptions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the quality of the offense, it's going to make up for, you know, a little bit of the skill difference between the two, between him and CMC. And I mean, easily could get like seven, seven and a half targets a game, you know, and that type of volume is just so just depends on how many t- it's it's i mean he could have six touchdowns and he could have 20 it like it's it's so it's gonna be so random with him because they do weird stuff at the goal line like travis kelsey wildcat shit it's 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 mm-hmm. totally up to andy Reid, honestly it really is yeah although he needs i mean the the touchdowns aren't gonna do it alone you know like he, no he's got to catch the passes too he's got to catch the passes too yeah. But. All right. Let, let's talk real quick about our, our pros versus Joe's draft. Uh, both Pat and I have tweeted this draft board out that you guys can go see. How uh, were you? Were you shocked that I started my draft with a wide receiver? Were you just like, were you just penciling me in for a running back in round one? No, I, I both Pete and I thought you'd go Kelsey. Um, he went, he went, but then he went, but then he went yeah. one of four. So then we were both I would have like, taken, oh. I would have taken Kelsey if he was there. I also okay. would have taken Zeke if he was there, but Zeke went one, two. Right. Yeah. Zeke went one, two, the one, two, one, two went Zeke and then David Montgomery. Unconventional. And then JK Dobbins and then Dallas and then Goddard Dallas in the fourth. Goddard. Yeah. Uh, you, you did, I think a very unique start Waller Gibson. Like I feel like most drafters who would take Waller there would have taken Joe Mixon. Like, I, I feel mm. like that's the FFPC grinder start. So I, I love what you did there. Um, and then I, I was so tilted because just the way the draft set up, I didn't, I needed to take tight ends where you took AJ Dillon and Tony Pollard. I mean, that was the perfect 9-10 selection for your team. Like you you go Allen Robinson, DJ Moore, Brandon Ayuk, Claypool, Judy Schnault, got all your dudes. And then you also got, the premium zero running back guys. I, I think your team is much better than mine. I, I was surprised 
to even see Pollard there because it's one of those things where we, I took Dylan. I'm thinking about Pollard when I take Dylan, but I'm, you know, Dylan because I only have one running back. I think he's got more usable week. You know, he's going to have kind of more of a steady role. So I, I like, but the, the second guy I probably take there is Pollard. And then I just assume he's going to be gone. And Elijah Moore was the guy I was really thinking about at that point. And then Pollard yeah. came back. It almost was like, it kind of messed with me a little bit. Like Pete had to be like, yeah, you should take Pollard. Like you were going to probably take him at the last pick. Like you should still take Pollard. Cause like I almost moved back to wide receiver in my mind, but yeah, to get AJ Dillon and Tony Pollard there. I mean, Pete was making the point that like, that's usually like Latavius Murray, you know, is, is Alexander the, Madison. Alexander Madison, exactly. It's not like the premium guy in, in contingent value, just sitting there for you in round 10 when like all you want is big contingent value. Like it, it was pretty, it was pretty nice. I, I felt like, uh, they kind of let me off the hook there a little bit. Like the FFPC normally punishes you more for yes. trying this type of build. So it was like, once I got Pollard in place as running back three, I was like, I can't, I need, I need a pass catcher, but there's so many guys to choose from. I'm locked out of McKissick cause I don't want to do the, the handcuff, but otherwise there's like a lot to choose from. Um, and I ended up getting geo in the 14th, which also felt like pretty good value. So I feel pretty, I feel like really good. Of course, like, you know, put it on Twitter everyone's like dude your running backs are, are dude, pretty I'm, weak I'm, I'm worried about your running back <laughs> yeah they're like i like the wide receivers <laughs> I, li- I like the wide receiver did you think it would have been nice if you could have maybe tried to prioritize the running back <laughs> yeah position? if you could have also made the running back strong um, i uh what did, what did you yeah, think that about- is the like legitimate reaction but i love the running backs i have what did you think about me taking lockett over higgins that surprised me, but I have been taking Lockett over Higgins. The reason like I did it, thing. the reason I did it is because of what I ended up doing, which was I did not want to take Joe Burrow and I wanted to take Russell mm-hmm. Wilson. And I, I also thought, well, I should have thought this out better because I, I was thinking you picked before me in the seventh and then I picked before you in the eighth, but it was the other way around. So that meant I couldn't get LaVisca when I took, I, I would have had to have taken LaVisca at seven, six to get him instead of waiting right. at 8.7. And I thought it was the other way around. So I think if I, if I could reverse this, I actually would have taken T I would have taken Javante where I took him, but I would have taken LaVisca at 7.6 and then figured it out at quarterback later. Interesting. Um, yeah. Cause you went Javante in the six, which was a nice pick people in the ship chasing chat wanted wanted me to go Javante. Um, I want Claypool, but I I'd like the Javante. Uh, I was going to take Claypool tour. if you didn't take him. If you took Javante, yeah. I would have taken Claypool. I think there's a tier break after Claypool, and so moving. I I agree. I think the sense. Claypool to Juju Boyd, Robbie Debo, Sutton, Judy, Visca. Some team took Cole Beasley at eight point four here. This this guy, by the way, I think he's got to be like a huge FFPC grinder because the you know the the Mojo guys do the odds to win, and they made this guy five to one to win, and he went Sterling Shepard in the seventh, Cole Beasley in the eighth, Russell Gage in the ninth. That was so he, a bit and surprising. he also took he also took Josh Jacobs. So this guy's got to be a card carrying FFPC grinder. Yeah, I the the best grinder team was uh the best joe team uh was was danny mueller uh coming out do of the, the do the irish accent bro <laughs> I, drico out 
uh, has asked us to retire the Irish accent. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if we can do him again. Well, also, what did, what, did, what did you think about three tight ends? Because I didn't have, I didn't have a premium one. So I took Ingram, Everett, backdoor with Russell Wilson, and then Austin Hooper. I, I wanted Komet, but he went two picks before me. Yeah, I think that's the move. Like, I was actually, when I looked at what you did at tight end, I didn't like it. And then I went to see like what you should have done instead and realized it was the right move. Like there's not, um, you know, and Pete's probably mad because he said, I'm not pushing back on you enough in these podcasts, but like, what else what a, were you supposed a, to a do? Fucking, what a fucking dick, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what else were you supposed to do there? Like, I don't really see. It, it was you bad. It was bad wide receivers. It was wide receiver. Yeah. And I knew, I knew I was going to be able to get one of Rondale rugs or bateman at 12.7 i was able to get rugs yeah um i, I you do took not Ingram and then only darnell mooney goes uh before your next pick yeah then you took everett and then only emmanuel sanders and rondale moore go yeah yeah and i would i was fine with either of rondale or rugs or bateman it did, yeah. did not matter to me which one i i thought i thought i think you did a really good job i feel like i mean darnold is like whatever but you don't need you don't need his points. Uh, you got sniped on Rager, so you got Gabriel Davis. I was I was like waiting with bated breath to see if you took Ty Johnson. It was amazing that you took Gainwell. So yeah, if, if you missed the uh, ship chasing live stream, Pete, I mean, in a brilliant bit, just immediately he goes, "I will. I'm going to write down who Pat's going to take in the 18th round." And if I'm wrong, I will give away a randomizer box. But he knows for a fact that I want to take Ty Johnson. Like, there wasn't any guesswork. Yeah. yeah, it was like, I might as well have DM'd him. Like, I will take Ty Johnson here. So he he boxed me out of taking who I wanted. But Gainwell in the 18th was pretty nice. Like, I actually feel like, you know, that's, I mean, by ADP, he's going ahead. Ty Johnson's, like, always sitting there in the 18th. Gainwell goes a lot. So I actually thought that was kind of nice. If Gamewell won, I was considering taking uh, Salvin Ahmed. It's kind of a tribute to to Pete. Take the Dolphin. To Pete, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Gamewell was kind of one of my guys from uh, the pre-draft And era, at, so. at this price, at this price, like now, Gamewell is now cheap. Like now is the time to start aping in on, on yeah, Gamewell. I think so. Um, all right. I got to run. Tell people what's coming up on Ship Chasing this week. Ship Chasing, we are doing uh, a discussion on our main event draft plan. We've done two main events we have two main events in the books we got a football guys in the books and we're currently in another main event draft right now so uh going to be talking through like our draft plan for the rest of the summer um pretty excited about that i am going to be debating john daigle on nbc Sports amazing Edge. tomorrow pete and leone are going to be helping a referee and weighing in on their with their thoughts and uh I think by the end of the week, I should have my next uh, next running back strategy article out. So I look for that too. On NBC All right, there we go. Everyone follow Pat, uh, listen to Ship Chasing, listen to a good football show on NBC. And uh, we'll be back. Uh, I, I will be back later this week for sure on Friday with Reeves. And uh, we might get another show in as well. See you guys then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Justin and so good. 
thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find?